file eighteen of farthest north volume one this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by sharon riskedal farthest north by fritjof nansen volume one chapter eight second autumn in the ice part two friday october twelfth a regular storm has been blowing from the east southeast since yesterday evening last night the mill went to bits the teeth broke off one of the toothed wheels which has been considerably worn by a year's use the velocity of the wind was over forty feet this morning and it is long since i have heard it blow as it is doing this evening we must be making good progress north just now perhaps october is not to be such a bad month as i expected from our experiences of last year was out snowshoeing before dinner the snow was whistling about my ears I had not much trouble in getting back, the wind saw to that. A tremendous snow-squall is blowing just now. The moon stands low in the southern sky, sending a dull glow through the driving masses. One has to hold on to one's cap. This is a real dismal polar night, such as one imagines it to oneself sitting at home far away in the south. But it makes me cheerful to come on deck, for I feel that we are moving onward saturday october thirteenth same wind to-day velocity up to thirty-nine feet and higher but hansen has taken an observation this evening in spite of it he is as always a fine indefatigable fellow we are going northwest eighty-one degrees thirty-two minutes eight seconds north latitude one hundred eighteen degrees twenty-eight minutes east longitude sunday october fourteenth still the same storm going on i am reading of the continual sufferings which the earlier arctic explorers had to contend with for every degree even for every minute of their northward course it gives me almost a feeling of contempt for us lying here on sofas warm and comfortable passing the time reading and writing and smoking and dreaming while the storm is tugging and tearing at the rigging above us and the whole sea is one mass of driving snow through which we are carried degree by degree northwards to the goal our predecessors struggled towards spending their strength in vain and yet now sinks the sun now comes the night monday october fifteenth went snowshoeing eastwards this morning still against the same wind and the same snowfall you have to pay careful attention to your course these days as the ship is not visible any great distance and if you did not find your way back well but the tracks remain pretty distinct as the snow crust is blown bare in most places and the drifting snow does not fasten upon it we are moving northwards and meanwhile the arctic night is making its slow and majestic entrance the sun was low to-day i did not see it because of banks of cloud in the south but it still sent its light up over the pale sky there the full moon is now reigning bathing the great ice plain and the drifting snow in its bright light how a night such as this raises one's thoughts it does not matter if one has seen the like a thousand times before it makes the same solemn impression when it comes again one cannot free one's mind from its power 
it is like entering a still holy temple where the spirit of nature hovers through the place on glittering silver beams and the soul must fall down and adore adore the infinity of the universe wednesday october seventeenth we are employed in taking deep-water temperatures it is a doubtful pleasure at this time of year sometimes the water-lifter gets coated with ice so that it will not close down below in the water and has therefore to hang for ever so long each time and sometimes it freezes tight during the observation after it is brought up so that the water will not run out of it into the sample bottles not to mention all the bother there is getting the apparatus ready to lower we are lucky if we do not require to take the whole thing into the galley every time to thaw it it is slow work the temperatures have sometimes to be read by lantern light the water samples are not so reliable because they freeze in the lifter but the thing can be done and we must just go on doing it the same easterly wind is blowing and we are drifting onwards our latitude this evening is about eighty one degrees forty seven minutes north thursday october eighteenth i continue taking the temperatures of the water rather a cool amusement with the thermometer down to minus twenty nine degrees celsius twenty point two degrees fahrenheit below zero and a wind blowing your fingers are apt to get a little stiff and numb when you have to manipulate the wet or ice-covered metal screws with bare hands and have to read off the thermometer with a magnifying glass in order to ensure accuracy to the hundredth part of a degree and then to bottle the samples of water which you have to keep close against your breast to prevent the water from freezing it is a nice business there was a lovely aurora borealis at eight o'clock this evening it wound itself like a fiery serpent in a double coil across the sky the tail was about ten degrees above the horizon in the north thence it turned off with many windings in an easterly direction then round again and westwards in the form of an arch from thirty degrees to forty degrees above the horizon sinking down again to the west and rolling itself up into a ball from which several branches spread out over the sky the arches were in active motion while pencils of streamers shot out swiftly from the west towards the east and the whole serpent kept incessantly undulating into fresh curves gradually it mounted up over the sky nearly to the zenith while at the same time the uppermost bend or arch separated into several fainter undulations the ball in the northeast glowed intensely and brilliant streamers shot upwards to the zenith from several places in the arches especially from the ball and from the bend farthest away in the northeast the illumination was now at its highest the color being principally a strong yellow though at some spots it verged towards a yellowish red while at other places it was a greenish white when the upper wave reached the zenith the phenomenon lost something of its brilliancy dispersing little by little leaving merely a faint indication of an aurora in the southern sky on coming up again on deck later in the evening i found nearly the whole of the aurora collected in the southern half of the sky a low arch five degrees in height could be seen far down in the south over the dark segment of the horizon 
between this and the zenith were four other vague wavy arches the topmost of which passed right across it here and there vivid streamers shot flaming upwards especially from the undermost arch in the south no arch was to be seen in the northern part of the sky only streamers every here and there to-night as usual there are traces of aurora to be seen over the whole sky light mists or streamers are often plainly visible and the sky seems to be constantly covered with a luminous veil in which every here and there are dark holes there is scarcely any night or rather i may safely say there is no night on which no trace of aurora can be discerned as soon as the sky becomes clear or even when there is simply a rift in the clouds large enough for it to be seen and as a rule we have strong light phenomena dancing in ceaseless unrest over the firmament they mainly appear however in the southern part of the sky friday october nineteenth a fresh breeze from east-southeast drifting northwards at a good pace soon we shall probably have passed the long-looked-for eighty-two degrees and that will not be far from eighty-two degrees twenty-seven minutes when the fram will be the vessel that will have penetrated farthest to the north on this globe but the barometer is falling the wind probably will not remain in that quarter long but will shift round to the west i only hope for this once the barometer may prove a false prophet i have become rather sanguine things have been going pretty well for so long and october a month which last year's experience had made me dread has been a month of marked advance if only it doesn't end badly the wind to-day however was to cost a life the mill which had been repaired after the mishap to the cogwheel the other day was set going again in the afternoon a couple of the puppies began fighting over a bone when one of them fell underneath one of the cogwheels on the axle of the mill and was dragged in between it and the deck its poor little body nearly made the whole thing come to a standstill and unfortunately no one was on the spot to stop it in time i heard the noise and rushed on deck the puppy had just been drawn out nearly dead the whole of its stomach was torn open it gave a faint whine and was at once put out of its misery poor little frolicsome creature only a little while ago you were gambling around enjoying an innocent romp with your brothers and sisters then came the thigh-bone of a bear trembling along the deck from the galley you and the others made a headlong rush for it and now there you lie cruelly lacerated and dead as a herring fate is inexorable sunday october thirty first north latitude eighty two degrees zero point two minutes east longitude one hundred fourteen degrees nine minutes it is late in the evening and my head is bewildered as if i had been indulging in a regular debauch but it was a debauch of a very innocent nature a grand banquet to-day to celebrate the eighty-second degree of latitude the observation gave eighty-two degrees zero point two minutes last night and we have now certainly drifted a little farther north honey cakes gingerbread were baked for the occasion first-class honey cakes too you may take my word for it and then after a refreshing snowshoe run came a festal banquet 
notices were stuck up in the saloon requesting the guests to be punctual at dinner-time for the cook had exerted himself to the utmost of his power the following deeply felt lines by an anonymous poet also appeared on a placard when dinner is punctually served at the time no fear that the milk soup will surely be prime but the viands are spoilt if you come to it late the fish pudding will lie on your chest a dead weight what's preserved in tin cases there can be no doubt if you wait long enough will force its way out even meat of the ox of the sheep or of swine very different in this from the juice of the vine ramorny and armor and thorn and hair this good meats have preserved and they taste not amiss so i'll add just a word friends of warning to you if you want a good dinner come at one not at two the lyric melancholy which here finds utterance must have been the outcome of many bitter disappointments and furnishes a valuable internal evidence as to the anonymous author's profession meanwhile the guests assembled with tolerable punctuality the only exception being your humble servant who was obliged to take some photographs in the rapidly waning daylight the menu was splendid one oxtail soup two fish pudding with melted butter and potatoes three turtle with marrow fat peas etc etc four rice with malter cloudberries and cream crown malt extract after dinner coffee and honey cakes after supper which also was excellent there was a call for music which was liberally supplied throughout the whole evening by various accomplished performers on the organ among whom benson specially distinguished himself his late experiences on the ice with the crank handle having put him in first-rate training every now and then the music dragged a bit as though it were being hauled up from an abyss some one thousand or fifteen hundred fathoms deep then it would quicken and get more lively as it came nearer to the surface at last the excitement rose to such a pitch that pettersen and i had to get up and have a dance a waltz and a polka or two and we really executed some very tasteful pas de deux on the limited floor of the saloon then amundsen also was swept into the mazes of the dance while the others played cards meanwhile refreshments were served in the form of preserved peaches dried bananas figs honey cakes etc etc in short we made a jovial evening of it and why should we not we are progressing merrily towards our goal we are already halfway between the new siberian islands and franz joseph land and there is not a soul on board who doubts that we shall accomplish what we came out to do so long live merriment but the endless stillness of the polar night holds its sway aloft the moon half full shines over the ice and the stars sparkle brilliantly overhead there are no restless northern lights and the south wind sighs mournfully through the rigging a deep peaceful stillness prevails everywhere it is the infinite loveliness of death nirvana monday october twenty second it is beginning to be cold now the thermometer was minus thirty four point six degrees celsius thirty point two degrees fahrenheit below zero last night and this evening it is minus thirty six degrees celsius thirty two point eight degrees fahrenheit below zero 
a lovely aurora this evening eleven thirty a brilliant corona encircled the zenith with a wreath of streamers in several layers one outside the other then larger and smaller sheaves of streamers spread over the sky especially low down towards southwest and east-southeast all of them however tended upwards towards the corona which shone like a halo i stood watching it a long while every now and then i could discern a dark patch in its middle at the point where all the rays converged it lay a little south of the pole star and approached cassiopeia in the position it then occupied but the halo kept smouldering and shifting just as if a gale in the upper strata of the atmosphere were playing the bellows to it presently fresh streamers shot out of the darkness outside the inner halo followed by other bright shafts of light in a still wider circle and meanwhile the dark space in the middle was clearly visible at other times it was entirely covered with masses of light then it appeared as if the storm abated and the whole turned pale and glowed with a faint whitish hue for a little while only to shoot wildly up once more and to begin the same dance over again then the entire mass of light around the corona began to rock to and fro in large waves over the zenith and the dark central point whereupon the gale seemed to increase and whirl the streamers into an inextricable tangle till they merged into a luminous vapor that enveloped the corona and drowned it in a deluge of light so that neither it nor the streamers nor the dark center could be seen nothing in fact but a chaos of shining mist again it became paler and i went below at midnight there was hardly anything of the aurora to be seen friday october twenty sixth yesterday evening we were in eighty two degrees three minutes north latitude Today the fram is two years old the sky has been overcast during the last two days and it has been so dark at midday that i thought we should soon have to stop our snowshoe expeditions but this morning brought us clear still weather and i went out on a delightful trip to the westward where there had been a good deal of fresh packing but nothing of any importance in honor of the occasion we had a particularly good dinner with fried halibut turtle pork chops with haricot beans and green peas plum pudding real burning plum pudding for the first time with custard sauce and wound up with strawberries as usual the beverages consisted of wine that is to say lime juice with water and sugar and crown malt extract i fear there was a general overtaxing of the digestive apparatus after dinner coffee and honey cakes with which nordahl stood cigarettes general holiday this evening it has begun to blow from the north but probably this does not mean much i must hope so at all events and trust that we shall soon get a south wind again but it is not the mild zephyr we yearn for not the breath of the blushing dawn no a cold biting south wind roaring with all the force of the polar sea so that the fram the two-year-old fram may be buried in the snowstorm and all round her be but a reeking frost it is this we are waiting for this that will drift us onwards to our goal to-day then from thou art two years old i said at the dinner-table that if a year ago we were unanimous in believing that the fram was a good ship we had much better grounds for that belief to-day 
for safely and surely she is carrying us onwards even if the speed be not excessive and so we drank the fram's good health and good progress i did not say too much had i said all that was in my heart my words would not have been so measured for to say the truth we all of us dearly love the ship as much as it is possible to love any impersonal thing and why should we not love her no mother can give her young more warmth and safety under her wings than she affords to us she is indeed like a home to us we all rejoice to return to her from out on the icy plains and when i have been far away and have seen her masts rising over the everlasting mantle of snow how often has my heart glowed with warmth towards her to the builder of this home grateful thoughts often travel during the still nights he i feel certain sits yonder at home often thinking of us but he knows not where his thought can seek the from in the great white tract around the pole but he knows his child and though all else lose faith in her he will believe that she will hold out yes colin archer could you see us now you would know that your faith in her is not misplaced i am sitting alone in my berth and my thoughts glide back over the two years that have passed what demon is it that weaves the threads of our lives that makes us deceive ourselves and ever sends us forth on paths we have not ourselves laid out paths on which we have no desire to walk was it a mere feeling of duty that impelled me oh no i was simply a child yearning for a great adventure out in the unknown who had dreamed of it so long that at last i believe it really awaited me and it has indeed fallen to my lot the great adventure of the ice deep and pure as infinity the silent starlit polar night nature itself in its profundity the mystery of life the ceaseless circling of the universe the feast of death without suffering without regret eternal in itself here in the great night thou standest in all thy naked pettiness face to face with nature and thou sittest devoutly at the feet of eternity intently listening and thou knowest god the all-ruling the centre of the universe all the riddles of life seem to grow clear to thee and thou laughest at thyself that thou couldst be consumed by brooding it is all so little so unutterably little whoso sees jehovah dies sunday november fourth at noon i had gone out on a snowshoe expedition and had taken some of the dogs with me presently i noticed that those that had been left behind at the ship began to bark those with me pricked up their ears and several of them started off back with ulenka at their head most of them soon stopped listening and looking behind them to see if i were following i wondered for a little while whether it could be a bear and then continued on my way but at length i could stand it no longer and set off homewards with the dogs dashing wildly on in front on approaching the ship i saw some of the men setting off with guns they were sverdrup johansen mogstad and henriksen 
they had got a good start of me in the direction in which the dogs were barking before i too got hold of a gun and set off after them all at once i saw through the darkness the flash of a volley from those in front followed by another shot then several more until at last it sounded like regular platoon firing what the deuce could it be they were standing on the same spot and kept firing incessantly why on earth did they not advance nearer i hurried on thinking it was high time i came up with my snowshoes to follow the game which must evidently be in full flight meanwhile they advanced a little and then there was another flash to be seen through the darkness and so they went on two or three times one of the number at last dashed forward over the ice and fired straight down in front of him while another knelt down and fired towards the east were they trying their guns but surely it was a strange time for doing so and there were so many shots meanwhile the dogs tore around over the ice and gathered in clumps barking furiously at length i overtook them and saw three bears scattered over the ice a she-bear and two cubs while the dogs lay over them worrying them like mad and tearing away at paws throat and tail Yulenka especially was beside herself she had gripped one of the cubs by the throat and worried it like a mad thing so that it was difficult to get her away the bears had gone very leisurely away from the dogs which dared not come to sufficiently close quarters to use their teeth till the old she-bear had been wounded and had fallen down the bears indeed had acted in a very suspicious manner it seemed just as if the she-bear had some deep design some evil intent in her mind if she could only have lured the dogs near enough to her suddenly she halted let the cubs go on in front sniffed a little and then came back to meet the dogs who at the same time as if at a word of command all turned tail and set off towards the west it was then that the first shot was fired and the old bear tottered and fell headlong when immediately some of the dogs set to and tackled her one of the cubs then got its quietus while the other one was fired at and made off over the ice with three dogs after it they soon overtook it and pulled it down so that when mogstead came up he was obliged first of all to get the dogs off before he could venture to shoot it was a glorious slaughter and by no means unwelcome for we had that very day eaten the last remains of our last bear in the shape of meat cakes for dinner the two cubs made lovely christmas pork in all probability these were the same bears whose tracks we had seen before sverdrup and i had followed on the tracks of three such animals on the last day of october and had lost them to north-northwest of the ship apparently they had come from that quarter now when they wanted to shoot peter's gun as usual would not go off it had again been drenched with vaseline and he kept calling out shoot shoot mine won't go off afterwards on examining the gun i had taken with me to the fray i found there were no cartridges in it a nice account i should have given of myself had i come on the bears alone with that weapon monday november fifth as i was sitting at work last night i heard a dog on the deck howling fearfully i sprang up and found it was one of the puppies that had touched an iron bolt with its tongue and was frozen fast to it 
there the poor beast was straining to get free with its tongue stretched out so far that it looked like a thin rope proceeding out of its throat and it was howling piteously benson whose watch it was had come up but scarcely knew what to do he took hold of it however by the neck and held it close to the bolt so that its tongue was less extended after having warmed the bolt somewhat with his hand he managed to get the tongue free the poor little puppy seemed overjoyed at its release and to show its gratitude licked benson's hand with its bloody tongue and seemed as if it could not be grateful enough to its deliverer it is to be hoped that it will be some time before this puppy at any rate gets fast again in this way but such things happen every now and then sunday november eleventh i am pursuing my studies as usual day after day and they lure me too deeper and deeper into the insoluble mystery that lies behind all these inquiries nay why keep revolving in this fruitless circle of thought better go out into the winter night the moon is up great and yellow and placid the stars are twinkling overhead through the drifting snow-dust why not rock yourself into a winter night's dream filled with memories of summer ugh no the wind is howling too shrilly over the barren ice plains there are thirty-three degrees of cold and summer with its flowers is far far away i would give a year of my life to hold them in my embrace they loom far away in the distance as if i should never come back to them but the northern lights with their eternally shifting loveliness flame over the heavens each day and each night look at them drink oblivion and drink hope from them they are even as the aspiring soul of man restless as it is they will read the whole vault of heaven with their glittering fleeting light surpassing all else in their wild loveliness fairer than even the blush of dawn but whirling idly through empty space they bear no message of a coming day the sailor steers his course by a star could you but concentrate yourselves you too o northern lights might lend your aid to guide the wildered wanderer but dance on and let me enjoy you stretch a bridge across the gulf between the present and the time to come and let me dream far far ahead into the future o thou mysterious radiance what art thou and whence comest thou yet why ask is it not enough to admire thy beauty and pause there can we at best get beyond the outward show of things what would it profit even if we could say that it is an electric discharge or currents of electricity through the upper regions of the air and were able to describe in minutest detail how it all came to be it would be mere words we know no more what an electric current really is than what the aurora borealis is happy is the child we with all our views and theories are not in the last analysis a hair's breadth nearer the truth than it tuesday november thirteenth thermometer minus thirty eight degrees celsius minus thirty six point four degrees fahrenheit the ice is packing in several quarters during the day and the roar is pretty loud now that the ice has become colder it can be heard from afar a strange roar which would sound uncanny to any one who did not know what it was a delightful snowshoe run in the light of the full moon 
Is life a veil of tears? Is it such a deplorable fate to dash off like the wind with all the dogs skipping around one over the boundless expanse of ice through a night like this in the fresh crackling frost while the snowshoes glide over the smooth surface so that you scarcely know you are touching the earth and the stars hang high in the blue vault above? This is more, indeed, than one has any right to expect of life. It is a fairy tale from another world, from a life to come. And then to return home to one's cozy study cabin, kindle the stove, light the lamp, fill a pipe, stretch oneself on the sofa, and send dreams out into the world with the curling clouds of smoke. Is that a dire infliction? Thus I catch myself sitting, staring at the fire for hours together, dreaming myself away, a useful way of employing the time. But at least it makes it slip unnoticed by, until the dreams are swept away in an ice-blast of reality, and I sit here in the midst of desolation, and nervously set to work again. Wednesday, November 14th. How marvelous are these snowshoe runs through this silent nature! The ice-fields stretch all around, bathed in the silver moonlight. Here and there dark, cold shadows project from the hummocks, whose sides faintly reflect the twilight. Far, far out, a dark line marks the horizon, formed by the packed-up ice, over it a shimmer of silvery vapor, and above all, the boundless deep blue starry sky, where the full moon sails through the ether. But in the south is a faint glimmer of day, low down of a dark, glowing red hue, and higher up a clear yellow and pale green arch that loses itself in the blue above. The whole melts into a pure harmony, one and indescribable. At times one longs to be able to translate such scenes into music. What mighty chords one would require to interpret them! Silent, oh so silent, you can hear the vibrations of your own nerves. I seem as if I were gliding over and over these plains into infinite space. Is this not an image of what is to come? Eternity and peace are here. Nirvana must be cold and bright as such an eternal star-night. What are all our research and understanding in the midst of this infinity? Friday, November 16th. In the forenoon I went out with Sverdrup on snowshoes in the moonlight, and we talked seriously of the prospects of our drift, and of the proposed expedition northwards over the ice in the spring. In the evening we went into the matter more thoroughly in his cabin. I stated my views, in which he entirely coincided. I have of late been meditating a great deal on what is the proper course to pursue, supposing the drift does not take us so far north by the month of March as I had anticipated. But the more I think of it, the more firmly am I persuaded that it is the thing to do. For if it be right to set out at eighty-five degrees, it must be no less right to set out at eighty-two degrees or eighty-three degrees. In either case, we should penetrate into more northerly regions than we should otherwise reach, and this becomes all the more desirable if the Fram herself does not get so far north as we had hoped. If we cannot actually reach the Pole, why, we must turn back before reaching it. 
the main consideration as i must constantly repeat is not to reach that exact mathematical point but to explore the unknown parts of the polar sea whether these be near to or more remote from the pole i said this before setting out and i must keep it continually in mind certainly there are many important observations to be made on board during the further drift of the ship many which i would dearly like to carry on myself but all the more important of these will be made equally well here even though two of our number leave the ship and there can scarcely be any doubt that the observations we shall make farther north will not many times outweigh in value those i could have made during the remainder of the time on board so far then it is absolutely desirable that we set out then comes the question what is the best time to start that the spring march at the latest is the only season for such a venture there can be no doubt at all but shall it be next spring suppose at the worst we have not advanced farther than to eighty three degrees north latitude and one hundred ten degrees east longitude then something might be said for waiting till the spring of eighteen ninety six but i cannot but think that we should thus in all probability let slip the propitious moment the drifting could not be so wearingly slow but that after another year had elapsed we should be far beyond the point from which the sledge expedition ought to set out if i measure the distance we have drifted from november of last year with the compasses and mark off the same distance ahead by next november we should be north of franz joseph land and a little beyond it it is conceivable of course that we were no farther advanced in february eighteen ninety six either but it is more likely from all i can make out that the drift will increase rather than diminish as we work westwards and consequently in february eighteen ninety six we should have got too far while even if one could imagine a better starting point than that which the fram will probably offer us by march first eighteen ninety five it will at all events be a possible one it must consequently be the safest plan not to wait for another spring such then are the prospects before us of pushing through the distance from this proposed starting point to cape fligley which is the nearest no land i set down at about three hundred seventy miles consequently not much more than the distance we covered in greenland and that would be easy work enough over this ice even if it did become somewhat bad towards land if once a coast is reached any reasonable being can surely manage to subsist by hunting whether large or small game whether bears or sand-hoppers thus we can always make for cape fligley or petermans land which lies north of it if our situation becomes untenable the distance will of course be increased the farther we advance northwards but at no point whatever between here and the pole is it greater than we can and will manage with the help of our dogs a line of retreat is therefore secured though there are those doubtless who hold that a barren coast where you must first scrape your food together before you can eat it is a poor retreat for hungry men but that is really an advantage for such a retreat would not be too alluring a wretched invention forsooth for people who wish to push on is a line of retreat an everlasting inducement to look behind when they should have enough to do in looking ahead 
but now for the expedition itself it will consist of twenty-eight dogs two men and two thousand one hundred pounds of provisions and equipments the distance to the pole from eighty-three degrees is four hundred eighty-three miles is it too much to calculate that we may be able to accomplish that distance in fifty days i do not of course know what the staying powers of the dogs may be but that with two men to help they should be able to do nine and a half miles a day with seventy-five pounds each for the first few days sounds sufficiently reasonable even if they are not very good ones this then can scarcely be called a wild calculation always of course supposing the ice to be as it is here and there is no reason why it should not be it indeed steadily improves the farther north we get and it also improves with the approach of spring in fifty days then we should reach the pole in sixty-five days we went three hundred forty-five miles over the inland ice of greenland at an elevation of more than eight thousand feet without dogs and with defective provisions and could certainly have gone considerably farther in fifty days we shall have consumed a pound of pemmican a day for each dog that is fourteen hundred pounds altogether and two pounds of provisions for each man daily is two hundred pounds as some fuel also will have been consumed during this time the freight on the sledges will have diminished to less than five hundred pounds but a burden like this is nothing for twenty-eight dogs to draw so that they ought to go ahead like a gale of wind during the latter part of the time and thus do it in less than the fifty days however let us suppose that it takes this time if all has gone well we shall now direct our course for the seven islands north of spitzbergen that is nine degrees or six hundred twenty miles but if we are not in first-rate condition it will be safer to make for cape fligley or the land to the north of it let us suppose we decide on this route we set out from the fram on march first if circumstances are favorable we should start sooner and therefore arrive at the pole april thirtieth we shall have about five hundred pounds of our provisions left enough for another fifty days but we can spare none for the dogs we must therefore begin killing some of them either for food for the others or for ourselves giving our provisions to them even if my figures are somewhat too low i may assume that by the time twenty-three dogs have been killed we shall have travelled forty-one days and still have five dogs left how far south shall we have advanced in this time the weight of baggage was to begin with less than five hundred pounds that is to say less than eighteen pounds for each dog to draw after forty-one days this will at least have been reduced to two hundred eighty pounds by the consumption of provisions and fuel and by dispensing with sundry articles of our equipment such as sleeping bags tents etc etc which will have become superfluous there remain then fifty-six pounds for each of the five dogs if we draw nothing ourselves and should it be desirable our equipment might be still further diminished with a burden of from eighteen to fifty-six pounds apiece the latter would only be towards the end the dogs would on an average be able to do thirteen and four-fifths miles a day even if the snow surface should become somewhat more difficult that is to say we shall have gone five hundred sixty five miles to the south or we shall be eighteen and a half miles past cape fligley on june first 
with five dogs and nine days' provisions left. But it is probable, in the first place, that we shall long before this have reached land, and secondly, so early as the first half of April, the Austrians found open water by Cape Fligely and abundance of birds. Consequently, in May and June, we should have no difficulty as regards food, not to mention that it would be strange indeed if we had not before that time met with a bear or a seal or some stray birds. That we should now be pretty safe I consider as certain, and we can choose whichever route we please, either along the northwest coast of Franz Josef Land, by Gillis Land, towards Northeast Island and Spitzbergen, and should circumstances prove favorable, this would decidedly be my choice, or we can go south through Austria Sound towards the south coast of Franz Josef Land, and thence to Novaya Zemlya or Spitzbergen, the latter by preference. We may, of course, find Englishmen on Franz Josef Land, but that we must not reckon on. Such, then, is my calculation. Have I made it recklessly? No, I think not. The only difficulty would be if during the latter part of the journey, in May, we should find the surface like that we had here last spring at the end of May, and should be considerably delayed by it. But this would only be towards the very end of our time, and at worst it could not be entirely impassable. Besides, it would be strange if we could not manage to average eleven and a half miles a day during the whole of the journey, with an average load for each dog of from thirty to forty pounds. It would not be more. However, if our calculations should prove faulty, we can always, as aforesaid, turn back at any moment. What unforeseen obstacles may confront us? 1. The ice may be more impracticable than was supposed. 2. We may meet with land. 3. The dogs may fail us, may sicken or freeze to death. 4. We ourselves may suffer from scurvy. 1 and 2. That the ice may be more impracticable further north is certainly possible, but hardly probable. I can see no reason why it should be, unless we have unknown lands to the north. But should this be so, very well, we must take what chance we find. The ice can scarcely be altogether impassable. Even Markham was able to advance with his scurvy-smitten people, and the coasts of this land may possibly be advantageous for an advance. It simply depends on their direction and extent. It is difficult to say anything beforehand, except that I think the depth of water we have here, and the drift of the ice, render it improbable that we can have land of any extent at all close at hand. In any case, there must, somewhere or other, be a passage for the ice, and at the worst we can follow that passage. 3. There is always a possibility that the dogs may fail us, but as may be seen, I have not laid out any scheme of excessive work for them. And even if one or two of them should prove failures, that could not be the case with all. With the food they have hitherto had, they have got through the winter and the cold without mishap, and the food they will get on the journey will be better. In my calculations, moreover, I have taken no account of what we shall draw ourselves. And even supposing all the dogs to fail us, we could manage to get along by ourselves pretty well. 4. The worst event would undeniably be that we ourselves should be attacked by scurvy, 
and notwithstanding our excellent health such a contingency is quite conceivable when it is borne in mind how in the english north pole expedition all the men with the exception of the officers suffered from scurvy when the spring and the sledge journeys began although as long as they were on board ship they had not the remotest suspicion that anything of the kind was lying in wait for them as far however as we are concerned i consider this contingency very remote in the first place the english expedition was remarkably unfortunate and hardly any others can show a similar experience although they may have undertaken sledge journeys of equal length for example mcclintock's during the retreat of the jeannette party so far as is known no one was attacked with scurvy perry and ostrup did not suffer from scurvy either moreover our supply of provisions has been more carefully selected and offers greater variety than has been the case in former expeditions not one of which has enjoyed such perfect health as ours i scarcely think therefore that we should take with us from the fram any germs of scurvy and as regards the provisions for the sledge journey itself i have taken care that they shall consist of good all-round nutritious articles of food so that i can scarcely believe that they would be the means of developing an attack of this disease of course one must run some risk but in my opinion all possible precautions have been taken and when that is done it is one's duty to go ahead there is yet another question that must be taken into consideration have i the right to deprive the ship and those who remain behind of the resources such an expedition entails the fact that there will be two men less is of little importance for the fram can be handled quite as well with eleven men a more important point is that we shall have to take with us all the dogs except the seven puppies but they are amply supplied with sledge provisions and first-class sledge equipments on board and it is inconceivable that in case anything happened to the fram they should be unable to reach franz josephland or spitzbergen it is scarcely likely that in case they had to abandon her it would be further north than eighty-five degrees probably not even so far north but suppose they were obliged to abandon her at eighty-five degrees it would probably be about north of franz josephland when they would be two hundred seven miles from cape fligley or if further to the east it would be some two hundred seventy-six miles from the seven islands and it is hard to believe that they could not manage a distance like that with our equipments now as before i am of opinion that the fram will in all probability drift right across the polar basin and out on the other side without being stopped and without being destroyed but even if any accident should occur i do not see why the crew should not be able to make their way home in safety provided due measures of precaution are observed consequently i think there is no reason why a sledge expedition should not leave the fram and i feel that as it promises such good results it ought certainly to be attempted end of file eighteen end of farthest north volume one by Fritjof Nansen.